trim those trees. Forget it's cold, it's getting late. Trudge on home to celebrate. Forget it's cold, it's getting late. Trudge on home to celebrate. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this week's episode of Action for Everyone. For this here, December 17th, 2023, we are approaching the holiday season. Uh, I uh, I spent last night watching one of my favorite uh, non-Christmas Christmas movies in The Matrix Resurrections, and it was delightful. Uh, put a giant smile on my face. Uh, I am, as always, your host, Mike Scott. My computer is back up and running again, so hopefully we, we, we will have a properly edited episode this week. I am joined as always by Vice Victus Vice. How are you today? Hey, you said the holidays are approaching, but it's already here for me. I mean, I'm still technically working and I am actually busy. But on the on the other hand, so to my boss, I totally checked out. And it is like I'm just like I'm ready to like take my half days off for the, the rest of these what three weeks? No, no, no work is getting done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's I'm doing the same thing, right? Like I've got I'm a government employee and and I work in the court system. So the courts are really grinding, you know, to a halt for the next couple of weeks. So I'm very much I don't have any scheduled time off, but I'm very much if it's the middle of the day on Wednesday and I'm not doing anything, I'm like, fuck it, I'm going home. <laughs> so, uh, and Liam is shooting as we speak this very minute. He is, in fact, shooting. They're doing a night shoot down there in Indonesia. So we brought in a buddy of ours to fill in for him. Andy Gorham, welcome back to the show. Andy, how are you today? I am great. Thank you uh, for all of you. Just know that I am flexing the entire episode to make up for Liam not being here. So, yes. <laughs> and and Andy is a, a proper vanilla gorilla. So we figured he's yep. the best person to uh, to fill in for Liam. And then we do have a special guest this week. He's back. And the for... opposite of that. <laughs> <laughs> he is back as Slim always. We, he's, he's drinking his Slim Fast Protein Shake, though. He's doing everything he can. You got to throw a little pre-workout in there, Scott. Get, get yourself, you know, bouncing off some walls a little bit. That's Scott Mendelson. For. <laughs> Scott Mendelson, welcome back. Yet again, it's a buddy. Pleasure. We, we it's love... absolutely a pleasure. And it's it's good to see you all again. Yeah, we we love trying to get you on at least, you know, I, I feel like we're aiming now for about once a quarter. We try and get you on uh, about once a sweeps. quarter. Yeah, exactly. You are sweeps. <laughs> that is 100% true. Uh, for the big... children listening, sweeps was a thing. When... 
when people you, watch television on networks with commercials you are our brad pitt on the thanksgiving episode that is exactly <laughs> what you are um <laughs> so scotty Actually, wait you know what i i, I know we're like joking but like this is going to be a point for the rest of the episode so yeah so please so for the youngsters like social man young dragon uh aaron what is sweeps again because I, I know but like <laughs> this is actually gonna be important for the episode like so for, for people who aren't familiar with that with how that used to work um can you explain that a little bit more scott the, oh the, the oh sweeps. god i was bluffing yeah. i don't no, recall it's been a while no basically it's it's it was the time of the year um it's the time of the year when local stations set their ad rates for the rest of the period so it is in every show that is airing on a network nationwide or otherwise to eventivize themselves so they'll have weddings deaths mythology episodes you know buffy x-files you know sweeps week is always when Mulder stumbled upon another bit of black goo or got another clue to where his sister might be etc cetera, etc cetera. um and or you know you have guest stars etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's I'll I'll take that as a compliment. Thank you. Yeah, it was always the for for again for the youngins that uh, that don't know. Uh, I was referencing Friends was was very very famous for during sweeps episodes bringing in big guest stars. One of them was uh, a Thanksgiving episode at the time. Jennifer Aniston was married to Brad Pitt. They brought Brad Pitt in 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 really. I kind of feel like the first instance where we realize just how goddamn funny brad pitt is because he plays this extremely hot dude who rachel made fun of when they were in high school and he absolutely hates her he can't stand her um and it's it's one of the funny you know i know friends is, is problematic now rightfully so but it is one of the <laughs> funniest episodes of television that you will ever see so anyway yes scott you are our brad pitt the official a4e <laughs> brad pitt scott mendelson uh, <laughs> appreciate it scotty uh, you you recently had a, a career change you're doing some new gigs now you were obviously formerly at forbes and then the last year or so you've been at the rap and and now you're 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 doing other things tell everybody about what you're doing uh same field i have not transferred into bounty hunter or anything fun like that um i have a weekly over under weekly uh column at uck news which is an online uh, entertainment site that's run by Matt Bellany, who used to, you know, a big dog at the trades. He's very well connected. He has, you know, it's, it's so I'm contributing the box office portion to his Sunday night what I'm hearing newsletter. For me, I also started a new Substack called the Outside Scoop. Uh, it is subscription subscription driven. Uh, there may be ads eventually, but I promise they'll be very painless ads if and when. It's probably like. Here's an email. It's a sponsored page. I don't want it. Delete. Move on. Um, uh, it is not paywalled yet. It will be partially paywalled uh, sometime in January. But the the first taste is free as I figure out what the hell I'm doing and make lots of mistakes. Um, it's basically going to be not just box office, but that's obviously, unfortunately, you know, for better or worse, what people come to see. Um so box office punditry, film reviews, commentary, think pieces, analysis, the kind of stuff I used to do at Forbes uh, on the regular. And I hope everyone will show up. I hope some people will pay. And I hope I will live happily ever after. <laughs> So I have to I have to say I I signed up as soon as I got your initial email I signed up I, I hope I'm you only not, got it once because that was a challenge for me I got it twice but that's <sighs> fine uh, it's it's fine it's good it's no problem um, 
I haven't, I, I am going to subscribe when it goes behind the paywall. I will happily pay the subscription rate because, uh, and everybody that's listens- being recorded. Yes, it is. Uh, I, I am putting that, that is a con, this is a legally verbally binding contract. <laughs> I will pay for the subscription. Um, but I, I want everybody listening, even if you can just do the free one, just, just do the free one, sign up for it because Scott's writing is, is something that, you know, honestly got me into kind of doing the analysis and the discussion that we do on this show. When, when Liam and I really get into industry stuff, it's because of Scott. I, I learned what I know because of Scott. I can talk about things like the box office articulately because of Scott. So, um, you know, please sign up for the newsletter. It's been terrific so far. I, I missed the, the, my daily Mendelssohn. I've got it back. Uh, so I cannot, I cannot sing its praises highly enough. I love to, for people listening, you know, you, you, you do your, your reviews. Let's just say, for instance, you are not the biggest fan of Wonka, but again, you bring the objectivity of the box office analysis. And so even though you don't like the movie, you're sitting here also going, but here's X, Y, and Z reasons this movie is going to be a hit. Even though I don't like it, here's X, Y, and Z reasons why this movie is going to be a hit. And that that I love that combination that you always bring to your writing. It it it, it just makes it such a delight to read. I know I'm blowing smoke up your ass, but I really oh, take it. <laughs> I, I I I cannot. I am not exaggerating. I really want this to be successful for you because you. No, I, I appreciate it. that. And you know, for something like Wonka, for example, I mean, I think it's worth noting that a the film is doing very well, especially on a you know it only only cost 125 million to make, so they didn't spend. You know, the rule is don't spend uh, Return of the King money on Fellowship of the Ring. And they did not do that. Um, one thing I like about Walk, even though, again, whatever, it is what it is, they don't turn him into a superhero. That's nice. You know, he's not the chosen one. He doesn't, he's not the mysterious ancestor of the uh, secret cabal of chocolate makers or anything <laughs> stupid like that. Um Although he is young Wonka and he has a journey, a character arc, blah, blah, blah. He is a recognizable Wonka wardrobe and all in the first 30 seconds of the movie. So this isn't a case of like, you know, for example, Fantastic Four, where all three franchise starters are like five minutes to the end. Now we are the Fantastic Four. <laughs> Come for what you really wanted in the sequel, which only worked one out of three times. Um, and also it doesn't, you know, it's 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 not filled with like sequel teases and and unfinished backstories and dangling plot threads and cliffhangers. I mean, yeah, I guess there could be a sequel if it's successful and they want to make one, but it's not an incomplete story because they're, you know, setting up a franchise, something like, you know, Terminator Dark Fate, which intentionally left, not Dark Fate, Gen or Terminator Genosis, which intentionally left shit unsaid because that'll be in the sequel. No, it wasn't. Um... I am the world's only Genesis defender, but even I agree that the sequel, there's the like sequel, four of you. Yeah, there's, there, there is, there is. And, and it actually took me a while to come around on it. Oh, Andy's one, but Andy, you don't <laughs> count. You, you defend everything. You don't count. <laughs> I, don't, I don't defend everything. If you don't see me talking about something, that means I don't like it or I'm not defending it, but I do want to piggyback quickly. And I've watched movies my whole life and I've never cared about box office, this or that. But then once I met you guys and then started to follow Scott, I was like, oh, here's somebody who's talking about box office numbers and also how it correlates to not just him liking or not liking a movie, because we know social media, everybody 
is right and even down the line. There's no sides being picked or anything like that. But Scott is always like, I can read it and I feel smarter when I get done. And that's what I like when I read something. I don't want to feel dumber, which is what 90% of Twitter makes me feel. So, (laughs) and it's, it's, you know, for as long as I've been doing this professionally or as a hobby for 16 years or so, you know, I've, you wear two hats. I'm a critic and I'm a, I'm a box office person. And often the very things that I don't like about a movie are the very reasons why it's a gigantic, you know, big hit. So, you know, something like, you know, The Force Awakens, it's just a beat for beat remake of Star Wars. Yeah, that's why it was successful. You know, it, chapter one, it's a sanded down, kid friendly, you know, crowd pleasing, whatever. Yeah, that's why it was a hit, which commercially, you know, good for them for making baby's first R rated horror film. Um, I was just kind of shocked. It's like, why was I more scared and moved by the $5 ABC miniseries version of this? But anyway. Um, so okay. that's yeah. the, the biggest thing you've ever given me. And it's something when I look at movies, you know, cause we always get people and we've probably had this discussion on the show before, but there's always people who are like, I've never cared about what a movie's made. And I've always pushed back on that because I've always said, look, you shouldn't be one of those people that like, oh, hey, this movie made a billion dollars. So therefore it must be good. And my like of it is justified because it made a billion dollars. That's loser shit. But you should pay attention to how a movie does, because if you like a movie that makes a billion dollars, odds are high you're going to get more of that movie. If you like a movie that made 20 cents, odds are high you're not going to get the sequel you so desperately want. And so you should at least pay attention. And one of the things you gave me that I love is the your Laura Croft principle. And, and that that has illuminated so many box office successes and failures of movies that I like. And it's every time we get a sequel where I'm like, well, this is the movie we actually wanted. Guess what? It's going to bomb because the first movie, everybody had the hype for and it sucked. And so now people aren't going to come and see the sequel. Um, And and also the suicide squad. Yep, exactly. Even though I will Smith, no Joker, no chance in hell. Yep. Yep, even though I didn't like the Suicide Squad, I think like even at like any metric, it's a better movie oh, yeah. than the first one, you know. Yeah. And and the same thing, yeah. It's and so I love that you gave me that, and it it allows me to look um, at these numbers and and articulately think about, oh, are we actually going to get a sequel for this? Uh, we're not, you know, like <laughs> it's just not going to happen. So I think that's especially important over the last several years as the media has become more geek focused and IP centric. Because you have filmmakers, you know, this filmmaker talks about whether we could see a sequel to Solo. It's like, of course there's not going to be a fucking sequel to Solo. They lost $200 million and <laughs> wrecked the entire fucking franchise. And you know what? It's an okay movie, but clearly the commercial interest wasn't there. And when you have people that either don't follow the numbers or they still think in this weird world that, oh, you know, streaming will save it or DVD will save it or which is almost never true um, that, you know, we have these weird situations where I can count the number of times where a filmmaker or an actor was asked, is there going to be a sequel? And they said, no, because the last one didn't make money. And that should, I mean, that shouldn't be a hot take. Um, <laughs> and well, when you don't, when you have people that don't follow the numbers, 
they're even more hurt when like their favorite show gets canceled because you know this is harder with streaming because you know reliable ratings are harder to come by but it's like you know they think the show is doing well and everybody they know loves it on twitter and it's in some cases it's such a win for representation and then it gets canceled like why and the answer is because twitter is a bubble in the real world not enough people watched it yeah. also i just want to add i'm um, part of the um the, the fun of your analysis is that um um it's also kind of as exact as the box office numerology can be it's still kind of just like reading tea leaves even for the the base professionals you know like nobody can predict like venom making a fucking billion dollars you know like sometimes she just shit is just shit happens because you know movies are weird people are weird you know you don't really know oh, yeah. and a lot of times you know my comms be okay so why did i fuck that up Let's see what I did, what I missed. <laughs> and nine times out of 10, I'll be going back and like, it will be a rule that I wrote about earlier, but I didn't put two and two together in terms of how it applied to this specific film. Yeah. Like one of the reasons I blew Top Gun Maverick is because I spent two or three years thinking, well, Ethan Hunt is a huge marquee character. Tom Cruise movies other than Mission Impossible generally have a full, over under $400 million ceiling. Ergo, even with great reviews and terrific buzz, Top Gun Maverick will be thrilled if it does World War Z numbers, which was 550 in 2020, 2013. What I did not re remember is a piece I had written just a few months ago about new stardom, which is movie stars can be bankable when they're playing marquee characters that, and even better, if they somehow play off their on or off-screen persona. And, you know, Top Gun Maverick is basically Tom Cruise, the movie. Yeah. And so <laughs> even though he's not Ethan Hunt in the way that Ethan Hunt has sort of become Tom Cruise in a skewed sense, yeah. Mitchell is too. So, and yeah. you know, I, I failed to see that until after the fact. And Yeah. The, the one that I blew, and this was, you were on this episode when I called my shot and I absolutely blew it. And actually Liam pushed back on me. I blew Across the Spider-Verse. I absolutely thought Across the Spider-Verse was going to be a hit, but it was going to do $400 million worldwide and everybody would be ecstatic, you know, four or $500 million worldwide and everybody would be ecstatic. And Liam was like, man, given how many times my kids have watched that movie, I think you're missing something. And that was, as a person who doesn't have kids, isn't dialed into what kids watch, that is absolutely, when it comes to me, doing like box office, you know, prognostication, that is a major blind spot for me because I'm not dialed into that world. And I, man, I blew across the Spider-Verse bad. Like I am on record. You can go back and listen to the episode. <laughs> I am on record blowing that call, but it's like- I have three years, because of the delays of COVID and all that jazz, I have three years of Top Gun Maverick, of, you know, box office, not prediction post, but you know, I- I Here's a trailer. Here's what I think it might do. Here's a poster. Here's, you know, whatever. So I've got three years of being wrong many times <laughs> just on that movie. And um, that's, that's what's fun is you own your mistakes. That's the yeah. other thing that I love about your writing. You own your mistakes. You and, and like you just said, then it opens up a whole new avenue of how did I miss this? What did I, yeah. I'm really good at my job. So how did I miss this? You know, and, and then that becomes a fascinating thing too. And I always learned something from that of, oh, right. Here's, and that was with Across the Spider-Verse. That was you and Liam, because you did that analysis too of, of that this was truly a movie 
yeah, it only made so much, you know, into the Spider-Verse only made so much, but then when it hit streaming, then when it hit home video and the kids were watching it again and again and again, and Spider-Man Halloween costumes were selling and Miles Morales Halloween costumes were selling and, you know, and it's like, I missed all that shit. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think it's important because I, frankly, a lot of the punditry, both from colleagues and from just people who blog about this for whatever reason, you know, when a film, especially when a film does less than they were anticipating, they say, well, where did the movie go wrong? And like, no, no, no. the movie did what it was going to do. You were wrong. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, it was like, you know, there was the, the Taylor Swift thing where like you had people say it was going to do 150 million on opening weekend. And like when it only did 95, like did Taylor Swift leave money on the table by not going with a studio? Like, no, she just was never going to do $150 million. And that's fine. <laughs> Yeah, the one billion dollars or whatever that the tour yeah. actually brought in, I think she's, I think she's, she's okay. She's doing okay. <laughs> I think she's doing okay. Um, well, that actually leads us to a, a perfect segue into our next. Well, really quick, and we'll give you a chance to plug this again. If people want to sign up for your newsletter, how do they do it? Um, they sneak into their parents' room, and they take uh, loose cash and they mail it. To, no. Um, that's a very old soupy sales reference for those old. I, I got it. I got it. But again, I'm an old. I got it. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> no, uh, Google some variation of Scott Mendelson Substack, the outside scoop. Uh, it should be the front page should be a please sign in here thing. Um, and then you go to the, you know, the place where, you know, do you sign in for free? Do you sign in per month? Or do you sign in for a year? Right now it's five bucks a month, 50 bucks a year. And you can be like a founder and so you go to the founder and you type one and then you put zero, 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 comma, zero, 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 comma, dot, zero, zero. And then hit send. <laughs> Scott, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I am going to give you 50 bucks, but I'm not, I'm not going to. You know what? Yeah. I'll even. But if I'll... only one person listening does. <laughs> That's exactly. I'll probably go to jail. Shoot your shot, right? Yes. You've got nothing to lose. Shoot your <laughs> shot. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll give you 50 bucks and I'll even Venmo you like an extra 25, oh, no, but no, I am no, not fine. giving it's you a million dollars. Um, it was a hundred thousand. No. Wait, did I do that right? No, no, it was a million. Yeah. Yeah, it was a million. Yeah, it was a million. Um, okay, fine. One less zero. That's, I'm, I'm fair. It's, <laughs> okay. you know, times are tight. Andy, Andy you got, you sold it now. You got it. You got it. Yeah. Um, All right. If you work in the industry, it's a business expense. What do you got to lose? Um, That's vice we need to incorporate. We could we could tax write off shit like this. Oh my god! Um, yes, we we need to we need to create a four E incorporated so that we can tax write off all this stuff. So wait, are we going to cancel the OnlyFans? Because uh, I was getting ready for that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, jokes aside, it's thank you for the plug and thank you for the kind words. I'm still sort of getting my feet wet and i'm like okay is this what i'm supposed to be doing with this i'm not sure <laughs> but you know i i, I assume once the holiday is over and, and and the schedules are a bit more normal and then there's no movies in theaters for a while whoops um <laughs> then i'll be a bit more on the regular um but yeah um i'll stop talking now your turn <laughs> so Scotty, let's uh let's let's talk some box office for the year because it's been a bit of a 
I don't want to say wild and crazy year, but it's it's been an interesting year for sure. You know, movies were supposedly back uh, this year. This is like the first year we've had like a, a a true full proper. Well, up until September when the strikes happened, uh, we had a full proper, you know, release slate. But uh, there were definitely some some unusual things. What are some of the patterns that sort of stood out to you this year that you thought were were interesting or or unusual for 2023? Well, first of all, I would say the strike, the films that got delayed because of the strike, and there weren't that many. I'll be honest, I don't think they made that much of a difference. I mean, for example, oh no, we lost Dune, and you know that's very sad. But I think the Taylor Swift concert film, which didn't exist up until you know early September, more than made up for it, at least domestically. Um, and the ridiculous but understandable in retrospect overperformance of Five Nights at Freddy's, I would say that made up by itself for basically every other strike delayed film, unless you thought you know Craven was going to be the big smash of the early fall. Um, all due respect, I mean. Can't be any worse than Morbius, um, <laughs> but I, I do. Th I, I do. You know, obviously, it's coming out like next Labor Day, and that's fine. Whatever. I do think they should have moved it to May of next summer so they could celebrate the fifteenth uh, anniversary of X Men's Origins Wolverine by having a movie that's basically that, but with an R rating. <laughs> and to keep in line with that commemoration, Sony should also have leaked a DVD quality work print online by accident a month before the movie comes out. <laughs> um anyway sorry long-winded joke um again also for the youngins x-men origins wolverine leak i may or may not have acquired a copy of that word print did. and watch it we all made did. a fortune it, it, well, and it, what was funny is they're like this is a work print this isn't this isn't finished this is it and then i went and saw the fucking movie and i'm like it's the exact same fucking movie like like it's literally the same movie it is mm -hmm. the special effects unfortunately look just as shitty in the theatrical version as they do in the work print like this is yeah this is not a work print this was like a finalized copy that got leaked yes and i, I apologize i'm getting way off the subject um box office is going to be a, a little under uh i think eight billion is what we're aiming for or is it nine billion um and i don't know if box office is ever going to come back to the you know over under 10 billions that we were getting in you know the last few 2010s some of that could have just been, you know, over the, you know, somewhat inflated because of the sheer success of a number of Disney pictures, frankly, and the brief but potent DC Marvel superhero boom. Because, you know, as much as we've been talking about superheroes taking over Hollywood for, you know, 15 years, they really weren't dominating to that effect until maybe from 2016 to 2019. You know, for example... In 2015, when we first started hearing about superhero fatigue because, oh no, Avengers Age of Ultron only made $1.4 billion, there were basically three superhero movies that year. Ant-Man, Avengers 2, and uh, Fantastic Four, one of which bombed. <laughs> and Ant-Man, while I hit, made noticeably less than stuff like, you know, you know, Minions, Jurassic World, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it really wasn't until 2016, I would argue, when superhero comic book movies started really taking over the temple industry. Um, so what I'm hoping to see, relatively speaking, is a return to sort of pre-2018 where comic movies were big, but they weren't so overwhelming. They were crowding everything out of the marketplace. Um, as far as what we saw this year, we saw a lot of what we saw in 2016, which we had, we had a bunch of 
sequels, prequels, spinoffs, whatever, of franchises that used to be huge events that were now just this week's court appointed temple. In 2016, you had Independence Day 2, X-Men Apocalypse, Ninja Turtles Into the Shadows, great out of shadows, great movie, but classic Tomb Raider trap. Um a few other uh, Jason Bourne, Star Trek Beyond, Ghostbusters Answer the Call, all of which, with the exception of Jason Bourne, because it was pretty cheap, underwhelmed if or outright tanked. While newer stuff, like Secret Life of Pets, Suicide Squad, even The Legend of Tarzan to a certain extent, which at least was new, it was sold as a sexy superhero movie for adults, um, did, I mean, Tarzan cost too much, but it did three, 360, 360. Um, and, and can we just talk about the hotness that is that movie? I mean, again, for exactly. people who forgot this movie existed, Alexander Skarsgård wearing basically a loincloth and Margot Robbie in the same movie. It yeah. should have done two billion dollars. <laughs> um, but this year we had something very similar, which we had Indiana Jones. Nobody cared. Um, we had. And, you know, the Little Mermaid overseas, nobody cared. And if I may take a digression, sorry. Disney trying to pin that film's overseas performance on user polls and overseas racism was the biggest load of shit I've ever heard from the Mouse House. And that's saying something. <laughs> Black Panther was a hit in China. Soul was a hit in China. Coco made more in China than every Pixar movie prior to that point combined. Uh, Pacific Rim 2 didn't bomb in China. It bombed in North America. It didn't bomb in China. So the idea that they were trying to pin the fact that, you know, Koreans and Chinese and Japanese were racist against the Little Mermaid. <laughs> bullshit. Here's what happened. It's Star Wars, solo a Star Wars story all over again. You have an IP that's popular in North America. It is not popular overseas. And then you have nothing to offer to audiences that aren't already interested in the abstract in the abstract notion of a live-action remake of The Little Mermaid. You don't have Will Smith as Genie. You don't have Hermione as Belle. You don't have groundbreaking National Geographic-like animation for The Lion King. And it was the same thing with Solo, A Star Wars Story. What does that movie have to offer for people that aren't automatically on board with the idea of a young Han Solo prequel not starring Harrison Ford? Same thing with Lightyear, uh, Buzz Lightyear or Lightyear. What does that film have to offer to audiences for people that aren't already on board with the abstract concept of a Buzz Lightyear prequel that isn't really connected to Toy Story that doesn't start Tim out? Ghostbusters answer the call. Despite all the online bullshit, the film did 126 domestic, which was pretty good for a comedy. The problem is it cost 144 to make. Some of that was, you know, brand rights. Some of that is, well, the money's on the screen, frankly. And it didn't play in China. You know, they have they have an issue with ghosts, more or less. Um, and it only did about 100 million overseas. Why? Because nobody cares about Ghostbusters outside of North America. <laughs> and that's the same thing that happened with The Little Mermaid. Uh, it still did 300 domestic. Um, the Flash. You know, here's a shock. Nobody saw this coming. I did 10 years ago. That, you know, people wouldn't care about a Flash movie in the abstract in a universe that audiences weren't all that into Starring also starring a guy that twice played Batman 30 years ago in movies that today's kids probably haven't watched. Who could have seen that coming? <laughs> and I think to the extent that Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part One disappointed, it didn't have anything new to offer. 
And I'm not just saying that as somebody that didn't like the movie, which fine, plenty of other people did like it, but it's just another Mission Impossible movie. Um, and it was more of a, oh, another one of these, this is not an automatic event anymore franchise picture than even I saw coming. So it was closer in spirit to Rise of the Beasts, The Flash, Indiana Jones 5, than you know, an event unto itself, like Barbie, for example, or Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which was an event unto itself. It was present as popular. It's why John Wick 4 does well, but Matrix 4 does poorly. One is popular right now. One was once popular 20 years ago. Um, and I think the, the, the poor performances of those franchises, more so than the strike delays, is why the overall box office is a little lower this year than we were expecting. Yeah, I mean, y- you do. Y- Sorry, that's y- a lot. Well, it, it is. And there's a lot I want to. So, so first I want to, and Andy and Vice, jump in if you guys have anything yeah, you want to add. I feel like I'm dominating the, the well, chat here. I, I want to, I mean, it's actually kind of a different question. Well, because, um, yeah, as you kind of said, the, the, the the movies are back, but still we have these kind of weird, these fluxes and ebbs and flows. So, you know, things aren't quite panning out, even though generally things are well. And like, you know, the, the big, well, I don't want to just jump ahead, but like, you know, Barbenheimer, like there's plenty of, plenty of ink has been spilled about this movie, plenty of commentary or this, this phenomenon. Um, but I just, I was just thinking about like, um, is it in the back of my mind, like I'm kind of like, is the, Big budget movie before adults really back, or was this kind, no. of, this kind of a fluke? You know, like I'm, I'm I, I keep, keep people saying that, like, oh, hey, movies are back. Like, we're looking, and I'm like, ah, I don't think this is kind of a one-off thing. It, it just, it just such a feels like such a distinct, unique situation because you know, then you have Kills of the Flower Moon, for example, which you know, kind of got that theatrical push, and it did relatively well for like you for. If you even expect a movie that's being made for a streamer to even go on screens in the first place, you'd expect it to make no money. But you know, it did fair, fairly enough for itself. Um, but like you know, it's, that's, it didn't do fucking up higher numbers, of course not. You know, because like you said, Nolan is hot now. Nolan is an event now, whereas Smarty is like you know he's he's everybody's great great uncle. So it's like it's, it's it, he's not it doesn't have the same kind of cash, even though he's a legend. And even you know, same with Barbie is like um. I don't know, like, I was kind of thinking about how that worked, like, it's the combination of this well-known IP, or this proper, this, this conscious thing, this thing in our consciousness that's been around forever, um, you know, plus, you know, the, the, the Necker's name, and Margot Robbie, of course, has been great, and, but yeah, like, I don't, I, 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 it's hard for me to foresee that, that template or trend continuing on, like, to, to resurrect, the, you know, the, or revive the box office push, because, like, I don't know, you can't, you can't, Manufacture Barbenheimer like like that that confidence, and they're trying, but you, you you can't do that like like every year, every whenever you want. Well, technically, Saw and and Paw Patrol were both very successful, so Saw Patrol won. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, you're absolutely right. The success of Chris Nolan's Oppenheimer, which was always going to be a solid, you know, I mean, I figured it would probably do, you know. Uh, Dunkirk numbers or inter, you know, at best interstellar numbers, which would have been great. It was budgeted for that. Um, same with Barbie. I figured, okay, it'll do about five, you know, 500 million and that'll be great. Um, I think the secret sauce to why that 
became such an event along with everything else you know it's it's the first barbie movie it's not the eighth barbie movie or the third barbie reboot in the same way the first lego movie was a big deal and the first the first wonder woman was a big deal in summer 20, 2017 was that these films got merged together in a way that was fun it was jovial and this is what was shocking if you know you know anything about social media people were rooting for both pictures this wasn't a case of one film being one part of the culture war and one film being another part of the culture war. And yeah, you had fringe YouTube trolls talking about Barbie is, you know, woke or whatever. I'm sorry, you missed Wokenheimer. It was right there. <laughs> um, but anyway, but the, you know, the general, I, this is a contradiction, so forgive me. Um, even among the perpetually online, the general audience among perpetually online did not pit these two films against each other. They they rooted and supported, they rooted for and supported both pictures and made their mutual triumph a happy narrative. And that's the thing that I don't think any of us saw coming, but it's because we've been on the internet for 10 years. <laughs> um Andy, and uh, sorry, no, go ahead, go, 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 go. Andy. Oh, I, I was just about to say, I think I, I know I know so many people that don't make it a habit of going to movies, yet all of the buzz around Barb, you know, Barbenheimer, they're like, I gotta go see this. Whereas everything else, they're like, I'll just wait. I'll wait for it streaming. I'll pick it up whenever. We'll just see it when it comes on Netflix, which is what everybody says. And I was like, not everything goes to Netflix, guys. But like theater goers like me, when I went to those movies and even going back to like Maverick, looking around in the audience, I was like, oh, this is not the typical audience that I see at a movie theater lately. And then every other movie, Indiana Jones. I, of course, loved it because I love everything. But I looked around and I was like, oh, this is exactly the crowd I thought was going to be here. And then, you know, Oppenheimer, I'm sitting next to an, uh, you know, in a stacked IMAX theater, which was crazy. An 80-year-old next to me and like a 15-year-old on this side. And I was just like, okay, this is why these movies are doing so well. Yeah, and it's, it's Oppenheimer especially because... Gen conventional week, you know, all the yabber yabber about run times, our movies too long, et cetera, et cetera. And there's good arguments to be made in both. But generally speaking, if you have a film that plays to all quadrants and you can bring your bring your kids, length is irrelevant to the box office because it's just that fun thing activity you do on Saturday afternoon. Yeah, you make a day of it, right? Yeah, like exactly. that's it's Oppenheimer Day. Yeah, but that's the thing is like I unless lots of people are bringing their kids to Oppenheimer, then that sort of bucks that trend. Well, it's it's actually interesting because I'm looking at the top 10 so far of the year, and there's one movie that we're going to have to talk about that I'm dreading talking about, but we'll get to that in a sec. But of the top 10, Oppenheimer, Avatar The Way of Water, and John Wick 4 are all three-hour movies. And Avatar's the only one that I would say people were probably bringing their kids to, if even that. But, you know, and obviously Avatar is split because it came out last year. So yes. people wondering why it's not number one. It's because it's split. over. Because on years. the first tab on Box Office Mojo, they have the total money raised versus the only films that were released in a given year. Yeah. And um, Which is, that's fair. That's the way. Yeah. The yeah. Do and and I don't I don't I I'm on the numbers. I, I stopped using Box Office Mojo when they broke it years ago. Uh, I agree. I got them both bookmarked. But yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, you know, so you've got three out of the the top 10 movies are three hours and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is two hours and 40 minutes or something like that. So uh, 220, you know, which is pretty long two, for a cartoon. 
Yeah. So we're, we're definitely, you know, bucking that trend a little bit. The one that I thought was interesting was the contrast between Barbie and the Little Mermaid. So for those listening, you probably remember for my birthday, I did a movie theme for my birthday. We went and saw the Meg 2, and then we came home and we watched the Ulysses Cut of Waterworld, The Little Mermaid, and Avatar The Way of Water. And my wife's favorite movie of all time is the 89 Little Mermaid, and we both fucking hated the new one and it had nothing to do with Howie Bailey she was great it Rob Marshall movies are generally not good it looked like I I don't know how that dude directed Chicago maybe the greatest Broadway musical movie of all time and then everything else it looked like mud it brought nothing new to the table Uh, the changes they did make were bizarre Mm -hmm. as opposed to Barbie which offered people so you know for people who don't know there has been a long history of animated barbie movies but the the margot robbie greta gerwig barbie brought something new to the table there was value in watching that movie there is no value in watching the little mermaid at all no and it still did almost 300 million dollars domestically mm-hmm. but but the difference is is that's what barbie did barbie gave us something we'd never seen before Oh uh, yeah, and I think simplistically speaking, and that this I wish this were an all size fits all situation, but it's not. But people don't necessarily want originality and bold new stories and all that stuff that people talk about. They do. They are willing to see and embrace originality and bold new stories and ideas in established brands, which they were already going to see. So. You, you know, it's what I, what I could call, you know, learning the lesson of a Lego movie in which the Lego movie used the protection and safety net of this surefire IP to do something challenging with its narrative and to have well, something interesting to say. And I, we yeah. like to call that the Paw Patrol factor here on A4E because that's exactly what the Paw Patrol movies do. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's something like, you know, Barbie, for example, that could have just been a relatively you know low calorie high sugar you know meta brady bunch type satire where barbie ends up in the real world and hijinks ensue and it probably would have been relatively successful but greta gerwig and noah bombach and the other you know margot robbie certainly is a very hands-on producer she said no no, we're, we're gonna make a real movie here with you know yeah it's feminism 101 but a there's plenty of people that still need to hear that both people that need to learn that because they're idiots and frankly, people that need to be validated that they're not going crazy because they think that. Um, and again, it's a $140 million Barbie movie from a major studio. You know, it should be the start of your feminist education, not the end of it. And that's fine. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's something like, you know, I, when Disney was at its best recently, you know, I, 2013 to 2018, let's say, that's what they were doing. They were they were using these these brands and this their surefire drawing power to take chances. You know, I don't love the first Maleficent, and obviously it's it's sit together with duct tape in the editing room. But that film is basically I spit on your grave for kids. You know, that's a swing. You know, <laughs> or Miss Forty Five for kids or whatever. And audiences clearly responded to that. Um, Iron Man Three is basically the power of nightmare for children. And that's one reason why it's great. Um, 
and, and a, a 400 million dollar grossing Shane Black movie and yes. it is a proper Shane Black movie like it it is 100% Shane Black through and through and you know I, I think a lot of the big Disney movies of that era the ones I like and the ones I don't you know they had interesting things to say and they were trying to expand not just on-screen inclusivity but you know a certain amount of moral messaging beyond self-esteem is important you can do anything if you try hard and you know whatever um i think unfortunately the online reaction to the last jedi and i would argue the online reaction to avengers age of ultron which took a little longer to happen is part of why they seem a little cowardly now because i think the online blowback to both films that again i didn't love age of ultron but whatever i'm the minority that's fine um, they got decent reviews, strong cinema scores, made $1.4 billion each. Yet, if you recall, so much of the Age of Ultron discourse online was, it was problematic and, and Joss Whedon was too far up his ass. Or the other thing was, oh no, Joss Whedon was beaten down by the evil Marvel system. Well, which one is it? Because, um, I mean, without getting to Joss Whedon's off-screen behavior, that's a different conversation. Age of Ultron is very much a Joss Whedon movie. I mean, it has all of his tics and 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 fetishes and whatever and that's a compliment to a certain extent because i think it's a more personal picture than the first one even though i think the first one's a better movie um but i do think that the online reaction to those films coupled with the online freak out over ghostbusters which again got missed a case where internet rambling got mistaken for real world consensus that's why you saw what i would argue is be a long slew of very safe pandering baby boomer targeted blockbusters so you went from something like The Last Jedi, which is, you know, you know, told kids that this is yours now. Do better than we did. To The Rise of Skywalker, where fuck them, kids. Don't worry, Grandpa. Your hero is still the best of them all, and you did everything right. <laughs> and honestly, that's one reason I Top Gun Maverick rubbed me the wrong way the first time I saw it. Yeah, And that's not fair to the movie. I'm aware of that. But within the context of The Rise of Skywalker and Ghostbusters Afterlife and and you know, all of that, that run me as another legacy sequel like Independence Day Resurgence and Ghostbusters Afterlife and Rise of Skywalker, where basically says, fuck these new young diverse heroes. Grandpa's hero is still the best. And is that, again, you know, in a vacuum, that's not what Top Gun Maverick is. But it really, you know, it, it rubbed me that way when I first saw it. Um Boy, did I lose the plot. My no, you, you actually what didn't. What was I talking about? Because you, you brought up a, another good point uh, because talking about blowback, the, the other thing, and I think these contrast or, or go together, is the online blowback for, even though it did over a billion dollars, Captain Marvel versus the absolute bombing. And I, I there just really isn't any other way to describe it. Oh, no, it's, a, it's an unprecedented. I have never seen a film that was that successful release a sequel that did that poorly. Exactly. Uh, of the Marvels. And and you do wonder, like, how does that intersect? Does that, does at some point, does that online chatter from the worst actors, does that still somehow become the truth, the reality over the five years that it took to oh, make this that sequel. That is a terrifying concept and one that has certainly crossed my mind over the last several years. Just because, you know, at some point, are we going to reach a point where so many people are perpetually online that this shit does matter? And if that happens, then what the, you know, 
what do you do? I mean, I don't think for one second that Lightyear bombed because of a gay kiss and because I think Patricia Clarkson came out a week before it came out and said Tim Callan had been castrated by Disney. But if that does become a factor in the film success or failure, how the hell do you plan for something like that? Yeah, I mean, Brie Larson is such a such a a a focal point and an inflection point. And for, for what she said, there should be more diverse film critics. I I look, I'm a big Brie Larson. We love yeah. Brie on this show. We're we're we 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 may be mixed on her performance in Fast X, but we love Brie on this show. Um, Other than Jason Momoa and maybe John Cena, I don't think anyone came off terribly well in that picture. <laughs> but but yes, Amen. she is. She is an inflection point. And see, I actually liked her in Fast X. I thought she was having fun. Uh, but she is she is an inflection point. And, and so it is interesting that it, it's hard not to look at the failure of the Marvels and, and, and not think that that had something to, even though I am very much of the belief that Twitter is an echo chamber that isn't the real world. But to go from... I and again, I don't know because everything that happened was so unprecedented. Here's my vaguely optimistic look at that. And it's bad news for Marvel and Disney because I think one big takeaway is that the MCU as itself is no longer an A-plus cinematic tourist destination, which means that they have work to do because just saying we've got X-Men in the MCU, we have Deadpool, well, Deadpool I'm sure will be fine because that's its own thing. You know, we've got Fantastic Four in the MCU. Who gives a shit anymore? If Marvel isn't, you know, the MCU's existence by itself is no longer a draw, as it frankly was for Ant-Man, was for Guardians of the Galaxy, et cetera, et cetera, then all you're getting is, oh, it's another fucking Fantastic Four movie. Yay. I barely saw or ignored the first three. Yeah, um, that's, that's the thing that we actually learned from the box office this year is it turns out that people really liked Guardians of the Galaxy not so much the MCU. Yes. Because Guardians was number four grossing domestic movie. Ant-Man and the Wasp was a big disappointment. And obviously the Marvels. Here's was the a tragedy. I genuinely think that if the Marvels comes out in February instead of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, I don't know if the, you know, if, if the Marvels does well, but I certainly do think it does at least Ant-Man three numbers. I do think the year of Ant-Man three being I would argue by far the worst Marvel movie ever made. Um, in a shot, and I love Ant Man too, so I was shocked. I think that's one of their best pure sequels they've ever done. Um, along with, you know, the, the year long of discourse of the TV TV shows not being particularly hot, and again, I think more of most of them are fine, relatively speaking, but clearly people aren't watching them. And Secret Invasion was a trash fire. Um, the irony is if, if the Marvels had come out in the summer like it was supposed to, it would have come out before Secret Invasion, so that wouldn't have been caught up in the discourse. And people were wondering, why is there no reference to the, the Secret Invasion? Because this was supposed to come out beforehand. Um, and But I do think the year of bad mojo and bad discourse and bad narratives around Disney and Marvel, including, frankly, Bob Iger showing a heel turn, I mean, again, I don't like to think any of these people are particularly good and virtuous, gigantic CEOs. But I think at least before he came back, Bob Iger had a reputation as a talent-friendly CEO as far as those things go. And I think when the strike happened, and almost like he went on, it's like, everybody hates Dave, David Zasloff now. I don't like that. I want them to hate me now, too. <laughs> and, you know, I just... And again, this is a long, complicated conversation that I'm not... You know, I don't pretend to be an expert in 
you know, captains of industry and that kind of thing. Uh, I frankly think that's less, you know, these big giant people who run the companies, I think it matters less in terms of the micro, what movies get made and how those movies perform, which, and this is not a criticism of where I, I just spent the last year because it was a perfectly valid request. I did struggle with how to intelligently report on those people because to me, A, what they say is a lot less important than what they do. And I do believe that unless they're doing something crazy like shelving a movie, I don't think their macro actions make that much of a difference in terms of the movies that are going to get made. You know, unless you have a CEO that comes to Warner Brothers and, you know, says, I am so rich that I don't care if Warner Brothers makes money. And I want to look at the late 2019 slate of movie movies like Blinded by the Light and The Good Liar and Motherless Brooklyn and Richard Jewell. And I want to make those. And I don't give a shit if anyone sees them in theaters. I don't think who runs most studios is going to make a difference. You're still going to see IP targeted, franchise friendly, marquee characters with people that are considered to be movie stars. The only difference is, you know, do those films work and why? And I know that's a simplification and I apologize. Um, and once again, I completely lost the plot. Marvels, Marvels, Marvels. Okay, here's what I think happened with the Marvels. Everything. It was an everything that could go wrong did go wrong. Ironically, despite a decade worth of discourse saying that Marvel's killed the movie, that the MCU killed the movie star, which isn't entirely inaccurate, the Marvels was the one movie that I genuinely believe got its ass kicked because it couldn't promote. Because that film was based on the idea of having these three ridiculously charming and, depending on how, how old you are, incredibly attractive women. Look, I was in high school too. I get it. Um, you know, doing permissioning and being charming and being fun and introducing these characters to people that didn't watch the Disney Plus shows. Mm -hmm. You know, that was, you know, you were never going to have to watch WandaVision or have to watch uh, Miss Marvel to understand the Marvels. And I would argue you didn't, more or less. Um, but in terms of promotional campaign, that was going to be part of their job to say, you know, you know, the woman, and I, her name for, escapes me, I'm always going to butcher it, but the, the young woman who plays Miss Marvel, um, you know, she's super charming, she's super fun on the red carpet, she's super fun on the talk show circuit, and that was a silver bullet that they weren't able to use. Um, and so as a result, instead of having these three distinct superheroes played by these three distinct actresses that you already either knew, already knew or got to meet on the, you know, the Wesley tour, you had one character that was mostly abstract other than she was the first Marvel female superhero to frontline her own movie. And you had two Marvel female superheroes you probably had never heard of. And also, as far as the online discourse infecting the real world, because you didn't have conventional publicity, that was the discourse. Because you didn't have red carpet interviews and magazine profiles and viral talk show appearances, the only thing you had was what people on the internet were saying. And a lot of the discourse was even the mainstream was, oh, this film's going to be so hard to understand because you didn't see Miss Marvel and you didn't see WandaVision. And the, again, that's always been bullshit. My favorite part of Doctor Strange 2, a movie that I quite enjoy, is when Benedict Cumberbatch walks up to Elizabeth Olsen and basically says, shut the fuck up, Wanda. I did not have time to watch your stupid TV show. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you know, that's intentional. They get it. They know that not everybody's going to watch WandaVision. And 
Um, but because that discourse, and again, I think the media arguing that you have to have seen every Marvel movie to understand every Marvel movie has always been bullshit. But that is driven by an SEO ecosystem, which it clicks and adds from Easter egg articles and you know, uh, uh, what clues did you miss in this latest Marvel movie to what might come next? Was there a hint for where an Infinity Stone might be located in Black Panther? Spoiler, no, of course <laughs> fucking not. Because Kevin Feige and friends were smart enough to know that a shit ton of people were going to see Black Panther because it was Black Panther and weren't going to have seen Guardians of the Galaxy 2 or Ant-Man and the Wasp. Um, but, and because that stuff was missing, the, the the online discourse and the media discourse was driven by is this movie homework and the usual YouTube troll industrial complex which says that MCU and Brie Larson ruined Marvel and Disney's fucked and uh, I'm not being paid by Nelson Peltz but don't tell anybody <laughs> this I, is why I, I love having you made up but it's crossed my mind this is why I love having you on Scott because I can just we just tee you up and then and then we just sit back and learn um I all of this but Speaking of online discourse, so I, I I would be remiss if I don't ask about this movie. I do have to give a quick disclaimer to everybody listening. Uh, you know what I do for a living. You probably know where I live. It's if incredibly you, exciting. If you've can read. I, can I guess? Can it, I guess? Then Yeah, go ahead. The Beyonce concert film. Nope. <laughs> the Taylor Swift concert film. What? The Taylor Swift concert film. Nope. Oh, fuck. Um, you know, uh, I, I can only say so much except for the fact that I work for a government agency that has currently been embroiled in a mess because of Tim fucking Ballard. Oh, and oh, that was my third guess, probably. We have to talk about Sound of Freedom because it is the number 10 movie on the box office list. It is a, a movie that obviously had a lot of controversy, and it is a movie that has had even more controversy, uh, given everything that has come out about the subject of the movie, uh, which is that he is a horrible, horrible human being, and Operation Underground Railroad is a scam, and I cannot at legally say anything more, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, but it did do 184 million fucking dollars but tell me on this podcast you told me off the record about how taylor swift is actually involved sorry i had to i'm yep, so yep, sorry yep tay tay conducting raids in south america yeah absolutely well i don't know man Hey, she'd get that shit done. She'd get that shit done. She not she ain't scamming. If if she put if she put even one tenth of her energy into uh, eliminating human trafficking, it'd be done. Um, Um, (laughs) But you know what the most realistic movie I've seen this year about human trafficking is? Wonka. Oh shit! And I'm not making a loopa loopa joke. They're actually pretty tasteful about that. First act spoilers. Forgive me. He comes to London. I think it's London. I don't know. He loses all of his money. And he ends up at a hotel and he reads a long contract without reading the fine print. And he ends up in indentured servitude, owing Mm. thousands of made up dollars that he has to work off. And as you would know, that's human trafficking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, you know, a little blonde girl with pigtails being kidnapped off her bike in Chicago and taken to like some scary third world country that I don't want to name because I don't want to libel anybody. (laughs) Or slander, whichever one's speech. Wait, actually, so wait, real quick. I want, I want to kind of get this, get this question now because, like, I I wasn't clear about this. 
the thing about um can you explain the how does it go the, the pre-sales or like um the the studio buying the tickets before okay like how does that how does that work like it's that basically it's like, a it's like the pay it forward program yeah. Which, by the way, I love the fact that, that even though that film was a flop that killed the career of basically every single actor and filmmaker involved in it for like 10 years, Kevin Spacey, Helen Hunt, Haley, Jill Osmond, Meany Leader, all wiped out. Anyway, that but that phrase is still became part of the popular pop culture vernacular. My, um, my, I am well on record is that is my most hated movie of all time. I just want to put that out there. That I didn't I, hate it until the ending. But whatever. Well, that, but the problem is the ending yeah. like destroyed the entire movie. Yes, that is fair. Um. Okay, and this is, I'm going to get this wrong because it's sort of simplified, but basically you can go on their website and you can buy a ticket for Sound of Freedom, either for yourself or you could buy a ticket in the abstract for a, you know, that other people can go on the website and use free of charge. It's like basically buying a hot dog for somebody else and saying, you know, the next group, you know, the next needy homeless person that needs something to eat can have this hot dog. Hmm. Um... And it seems to have worked. <laughs> and again, I don't know the extent to which the pay it forward system is responsible for the film's box office versus people just showing up and buying a ticket like, you know, normal. And we heard a lot of stories over the summer about, oh, you know, it's people are mass buying tickets and then not showing up to theaters. And again, they may lie to me. I don't know. That's why I usually don't talk to these people unless I have to, because I don't want to put them in a bad position. But everybody I talked to in the theater industry swore that it wasn't, beyond the margin of error in terms of unsold, you know, sold seats being unoccupied. Now, I'll be honest, you know, there are plenty of times where I bought an A-list ticket that I thought I was going to do and I couldn't make it. And I did not refund myself that ticket because it's A-list, who cares? Or, you know, I remember I bought four tickets to Blue Beetle and then we all got COVID. And it's like, you know, this film's gonna get its ass kicked anyways, but I want it to succeed. And my four tickets are gonna, it's the least I can do. <laughs> um, I am but one man, what can I possibly do? But yes, what I love about the system is that everyone says they're gonna do something to change the way theatrical movie going and marketing and distribution works. Steven Soderbergh saw it twice. Uh, uh, what's that company called? Uh, the people that put out, put out Bad Samaritan, a movie I love, but it played to empty theaters. Doesn't matter, whatever. They were like, you know, we're a fan-driven company and we're gonna change the way everything's done. Angel Studios actually went and did it. I mean, I've never seen anything like this work on this level. Now, is that something that could work on the regular for indie films? I mean, there's no reason why not. I mean, it's easy to do. That doesn't mean it's going to you know, move a bunch of tickets, but it's not an inexpensive thing for like Searchlight to say, hey, do you want to buy a ticket for your friends to go see poor things? Click here. Um, or, you know, MGM, Amazon. I mean, Amazon, they have endless money. They could absolutely do that for American fiction. Great, very, by the way, Poor Things, American Fiction, they both go wide on the 22nd. They're both oscar movies. They're going to be mostly talked about in terms of their politics and, and you know, their, their moral messaging and inclusivity and diversity. They're also both funny as hell. They are two of the best comedies of the year. And in a sane world, they would both be mainstream crowd pleasers. But I digress. Um, anyway, so yeah, you, you, I see no reason why people could not adopt this. Now, as we've already seen from a couple of Angel Studios films that have come out since then, uh, After Death and The Shift, they're not doing Sound of Freedom numbers. That That's that's exactly the point I was going to say is when you were saying you talked to everybody and they said it's within the margin of error. The reality is if what Angel Studios had done 
was all them doctoring box office numbers, then the shift would also be doing $184 million yes. at the box office, not $10 million. Or the box they'd be office. smart and they'd say at least like breakthrough numbers. So yeah, there's you know, 100% like, something about sound to 50 of freedom. Million and people would, well, maybe. People wanted to see Sound of Freedom. There was and something about that. Did you see the movie, movie, by the way? Oh God, no. I, 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 I have I have a very 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 complicated relationship with uh, Jim Caviezel uh, and I, Taylor Swift. I, <laughs> I, <laughs> and I, Beyonce. I, I unfortunately and Zack Snyder for years considered Sorry, Jim Caviezel to be one of my absolute favorite actors. I I loved him for years. Uh, I loved him in Thin Red Line. I loved him in Frequency. I loved him in fucking Person of Interest. And uh, now I know, unfortunately, entirely too much about Jim Caviezel, and there was no way I was going to go see Sound of Freedom. Yeah, same. I had so many people go, "Did you did you go see that, Andy?" Because they know I like to go to movies, and I was like, "I think I froze." No, I most certainly did not. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I apologize. Do you have a complicated relationship with Jim Valley? Yeah, yeah, and, and I do want to shout out if if anybody is wants to hear more about Jim Caviezel, uh, the Q Anonymous podcast, which is a a brilliant podcast that that analyzes started with Q Anon, but also analyzes other sort of cults and extremist movements and stuff like that. They have a a series on uh, Jim Caviezel called Into the Into the Cavortex. That is one of the absolute most brilliant because it turns out that Caviezel has been a lunatic long before I realized he was a lunatic. He has pretty much been a lunatic from minute one. Um, so I did not see it, but I, I know people and who did. Out of curiosity, was he always a bad lunatic or was he just eccentric? No, he was always a bad lunatic. Um, but uh, but. I have seen people who I know people who have seen it and they have said that the movie is uh, varying degrees of mediocre to fine. Yeah. I mean, in a, again, in a vacuum, in a sane world, it's a three star studio programmer. It's really, you know, it's not nearly as salacious as your average lifetime TV movie. I mean, you know, some, you know, my wife watches them sometimes and that's, you know, sometimes I'll be watching these lifetime movies about, you know, a child abduction. I was like, I should not be watching this because dear God, <laughs> um, this is not that it's, it's a Amer PG 13 version of the 2007 Kevin Klein movie trade. Hmm. Um, and as a movie, I think it's level headed. It is, it, 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 it's not particularly violent. You know, he, he does not go all, you know, John Rambo at the end. Um, and that being said, it also means that it's a, human trafficking movie you can take your children to you know like the first taken that was edited to a pg-13 um <laughs> but and again in a vacuum it is fine and the fact that it became as big of a hit as it is yeah it became a part of the, the discourse it became like it became sort of an inflated way of something that we've seen for the last 10 years which is that mainstream entertainment as a political action and there's been a lot of smarter people than me that have written a lot about that. The idea that in you know late stage capitalism, so many of the tools have been taken away from us that the only thing we have left is, you know, what entertainment we consume consume as a political act. So we watch Black Panther to be righteous, or we watch, uh, you know, Frozen Two to show that we're not sexist or whatever. Um, 
And I think in this case, that was taken as, you know, you're going to go to the movie, you're going to maybe pay it forward a few tickets, and you will have done something to aid in the cause of child trafficking. And if you have a criticism of Sound of Freedom, you must be a petter toucher. You well, must be. And again, that's just a hyper version of, unfortunately, what we've been dealing with on the yeah. other side of the aisle, frankly, yep. where, you know, and whatever, I'm not saying this to complain, I just think it's funny, where, you know, I got retweeted to hell and back and quote tweeted to hell and back for like a tweet that got like 5 million views calling me a racist and all these things because I didn't like Rob Marshall's Little Mermaid. Um, and whatever I, I, you know, it, it's yeah. generally speaking, being called a racist is still better than me, victim of racism. But I digress. Um, I want. <laughs> I, I just want to make. Sorry, make that I called the Jesse fans on you. Sorry. <laughs> um, but, what did you say, Vice? Sorry, what did you say? I called the Beyonce, I called the Beyonce fans, and I'm sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> My bad. And, you know, as, as you know, I mean, there are any number of of terrific writers, including ones of color, that have been dragged through the mud because they said something critical about Beyonce. Or, you know, uh, uh, passionate, you know, Snyderverse fans that were on the good, you know, that were good writers, good people that just really liked Snyderverse that ended up being dragged across the mud because they said something slightly critical of this or that. And on one hand, when that happens to them, I feel a little bit less bad that it happened to me. Like even more instead of that, no, no, it's not really my fault. Um, and sometimes it is. I mean, nobody's their best self on Twitter. I mean, sometimes it's my fault. no. Um, no, except Andy. Andy is literally the, the prince um, of Twitter. But I, I do think Sound of Freedom success is just sort of a, a, a very microcosm of what we've seen happen in pop culture consumption over the last decade, where what you consume becomes a political action. And that is part of the reason why the discourse has become so poisonous is this goes into the whole, you know, these IPs are not part of your personality. So if somebody says they don't like this Star Wars, then they're basically telling you your children suck. Um, or, you know, you you gravitate toward this comparatively inclusive piece of IP. So if you don't like it, you're a homophobe, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we we it, are it, what we consume. To, yeah. quote, to and, quote John Cusack from High Fidelity, we yeah, are what we watch. Very out of the curve in that sense. Very out of the curve. And unfortunately, it goes to the other way too, where it's like, I think Green Book is fine as a three-star studio programmer that's aimed at, you know, old white people that maybe need to be a, need a slap on the head. And that's fine. The fact that it won Best Picture is silly, but even that, it was, you know, that was the Hollywood picture versus the streaming film that was Roma. That's why that film won. And everybody misinterpreted that, including Netflix, that reacted to Green Book, a film that I would argue is not racist, by making a, a, a hillbilly, el, el, uh, hillbilly elegy, which propped up an actual racist. And allowed him to win a fucking set of seat. Fuck you, Netflix. <laughs> I don't generally like to talk about Netflix in terms of good and evil because they're just a company, but that was fucking evil of you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, that actually so gives us probably a a good place to transition. But Andy Vice, any 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 last things about sort of this year's box office that you guys want to ask about? Um, well, the main thing is that, like, you know, I guess we kind of already alluded to, alluded to it that um, the 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 year of movies being back isn't quite that as we're seeing at the end of the year here, where um, things are kind of petering off. Um, so yeah, I, I just I just more just kind of I don't really have a question, which is I'm 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 just, I'm just kind of definitely curious about what's going to happen next year, especially because um, well, I I haven't I haven't um 
looked intensively into next year's slate coming up. But just I remember seeing some like um uh, upcoming feature tweets and, and pictures and like doesn't look quite appealing <laughs> to say the least. So I. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's gonna happen next year. It doesn't sound like it's gonna be a very good um, yeah, either money wise or actual quant content quality wise. So I but, don't um, want to go another monologue, so I'll make this really quick. But because of the films that have been delayed to twenty twenty five, and the fact that just the franchise films that we are getting aren't particularly great, I think this year's next year's gonna be worse than twenty twenty one. Wow, and some of that is back in 2018, 2019, and I wrote about this. Because you know, I say I wrote about a lot because I wrote all the time. So by default, and I have three years of wrong Top Gun posts. So yay. Um, 2019 was always supposed to be sort of the end of the current Hollywood system. By that, I mean, Star Wars was ending. Avengers was ending. We were getting, you know, the second Wonder Woman, which we all knew was going to be the biggest DC movie left in the can. Um, it was ending. Jurassic 3 was going to end in a year or two. Mission Impossible was winding down. The Daniel Craig, James Bond thing was coming to an end. So the big question was, okay, well, what comes next? And I had some theories about that. You know, I was kind of hoping that the Star Plus concept vehicle would might come back on a, on a reasonable budget. You know, like promising movies, like when Universal announced they were going to make a Dwayne Johnson Gal Gadot movie called Red Notice. Oh, that looks promising. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at the time. And of course, unfortunately, then COVID happened and then the strikes happened. So basically the, the time that Hollywood is going, theoretically going to spend figuring out what to do next, they still haven't really had that time because <laughs> they're still sort of playing off the 2019 playbook. Hmm. Um, and honestly, that's why, you know, up until maybe this year, you know, maybe, maybe this year is the last time, you know, Indiana Jones and what have you, where you had the last of the Rise of Skywalker inspired legacy sequels. Um, which is, you know, it's, it's you know, we should have, that should have been out of the way by 2020, 2021. But you did see, you know, when movies came back after COVID, you saw all these sequels like Fast 9 and and all due respect, Up Gun Maverick and, you know, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny and even No Time to Die to a certain extent that felt like they were developed under the assumption that the Rise of Skywalker was going to be well-liked. And that that was the way to make a franchise legacy sequel. And um, so, so what I, I'm I hearing, what I'm hearing is Godzilla Cross Kong, box office champion of 2024. <laughs> well, it saved movie theaters in 2021. It's what I'm saying. No, no, it's, I mean, absolutely, yeah. no, no doubt in my mind. I mean, Tom and Jerry helped. Tom and Jerry was the first when the morning that came out, you know, Saturday morning. I got a text from Warner Brothers saying the film had done four million on Friday. It's like that was the first time I felt hope. Mm. <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, as silly as this sounds, I saw it like, oh shit! I read the computer. I actually have a reason to do this today. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, things like like I'm, I'm kind of looking at I'm kind of looking at a um quick overview now on my screen here. Like things like um the Joker, the new Joker coming up apparently. Like you know, who knows what that like. Like again, it's kind of thing. Like nobody really, well, even being a popular IP slash franchise slash character, nobody expected the Joker to fuck up and pull a billion. You know, um, then we have like Gladiator Two, like a Dune Two. You know, like so, like there's big marquee stuff coming up that could pull, but at the same time, it, it does feel like kind of like it just too. One, it feels nothing is certain. Yeah, and I 
and I'll happily eat crow if I'm wrong about this, but I do not believe that there's a giant contingent of moviegoers that are chomping at the bit for a new Twister movie. <laughs> um, Especially without Bill Paxton. Yeah, right? or like, One of the yeah. two, at least make it a legacy sequel. Yeah, and, and that's one movie. I saw and that and I was like, that's one that should have been a legacy sequel because Bill Paxton and Helen Hunt are yeah. what made And that's Twister. the thing is a lot of these singular 90s hits that were hits because, you know, back then people just went to movies. You know, Face Off wasn't a hit just because of the core concept of the good guy and the bad guy switching faces. It was a singular John Woo directed operatic masterpiece. I would argue it's one of the best action films of the 90s. Um, I, I hate saying that Face Off is my favorite John Woo movie because it makes me look like a Philistine. Um, <laughs> but you know, yes, Hard Boiled and Killer are great too. Don't get me wrong. I, um, I, Hard Target's my favorite John Woo film. So oh, you're in safe you company win. here. Yeah. Oh, so you're in safe company you. here. Um, but anyway, uh, but that 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 was a singular film that was successful for singular elements. It's not just a raw IP, and that's what I think Hollywood made did wrong a lot in the 2010s. And I look at the one singular success that I think everyone should have studied, which was Sony's Jumanji sequels. I'll be honest, when I heard they're doing a John Jumanji sequel, I'm thinking, this is a terrible idea. This yeah. wasn't an IP. This was a Robin Williams family comedy back when that was enough. And the special effects were groundbreaking at the time. And it was a neat idea. You have these animals and coming out in the real world and causing chaos. And it was a PG movie, but it was a little bit scary and dark and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And I was dead wrong. And I knew I was dead wrong when I saw the first sizzle reel footage because they had gotten a cast that is fun. Wayne Johnson, Kevin Hart, Jack Black, Karen Gillan, one of the Jonas Brothers, I think Nick. Um, <laughs> and they had a, a story that was not only was it the inversion of Jumanji, instead of the game coming out, they went into the game. But you had this wonderful idea where they're stuck in a video game. So you have jokes that are based specifically on video game humor and video game tropes. And you had this wonderful idea of you have these four kids that are stuck in these larger than life avatars. So you have this inherently funny idea of a big stereotypical big jock who's stuck in Kevin Hart's little body. And you have got, you know, this shy, nebbish uh, uh, young man stuck in The Rock's body. And I've always argued that The Rock is be best when he's an underdog. You know, how you make him an underdog is, you know, maybe you put him in an earthquake or you hit him against a bunch of giant animals. Um, but but when Rock is presented as the best thing since sliced bread and he knows it, that's how you get Baywatch. Um, <laughs> and even, you know, Fast Five, yes, he was presented as, you know, a 800-pound gorilla, but he was up against other 800-pound gorillas that, you know, at the very least, he was going to meet his match. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, separates that film from some of his other in-fast appearances, but whatever. Um and I do also have to, I think, I think yeah. with the Jumanji movies, we do also have to give credit that one of the things they did was Jake Kasdan actually knows what he's doing, oh, yes. which is a brilliant masterstroke. Oh yeah. That, that almost always goes without saying with a success like that. You get talented filmmakers that made a film that was entertaining and crowd-pleasing, even if you didn't give a shit about the, the, the IP. And it looked, it was able to be sold as a film that was fun and amusing and entertaining even if you didn't give a crap about jumanji and that just like no thing. you look at you start the ip at the bottom that's the beginning of your cell that cannot be the end of your cell 
And I like the movie. I think it's fine. But that's one reason why Charlie's Angels bombed, the, the yeah. Elizabeth Banks version. Because that film had nothing to offer other than, oh, it's a new Charlie's Angel movie. Oh, by the way, you, you, what, you, what you described, you know, about uh, Jumanji, that, much, that sounds worth word for, like, uh, Dungeons & Dragons came on this year, but unfortunately, sadly, it didn't. That's didn't why it. I was more optimistic than most folks. But then they had to move it five days before Mario Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that's one that I, I think... I literally yell, you know, because I... I I sometimes talk to them, but I, you know, whatever. I literally call them and say, what the hell are you thinking? <laughs> that's one, though, that I think might actually, you know, that's one of those weird ones where we might actually possibly get a sequel just because the groundswell of, I know you're shaking your head, Scott, but that I mean, is look, one. That'd be nice because it's a good movie and people that saw it liked it. And I, I think that's one. I, I could be wrong. Look, again, I was wrong on Across the Spider-Verse, but that's one where I do feel like You were maybe... wrong. You said it was going to be successful. There's a difference between saying a film's going to flop when it's a hit versus saying, right. you know, me saying Barbie's going to do very successful. Oh, you idiot. You didn't say it was going to be super successful. Right. <laughs> but I, I do wonder if, if Dungeons & Dragons is one where maybe the streaming that could, you know, back to the Spider-Verse thing, where maybe once the kids start watching it and stuff like that, maybe we get, but. It would be unprecedented for a movie like that, that made his, you know, that bombed in the way that it did. They would 200 million on 150 budget to get a sequel. And it would be even more unprecedented if that sequel was actually a hit. Yeah. Yeah. The closest thing I can think of is Pacific Rim Uprising, which did $400 million. I'm sorry. The first one did 400 million worldwide, including a hundred in China back when that was a big deal. Uh, and it did 100 million domestic, uh, and they eventually made a sequel. On a hundred, mm-hmm. you know, the first one cost 190 million, and I think it was just because it was legendary, and legendary wanted franchises. And at the time, Warner Brothers was legendary, and by the time the sequel came out, it was Universal. And but they also, you know, Guillermo del Toro wasn't back. Idris Elba's dead, and to their credit, they kept him dead. You know, I love John Boyega, but other than that, the movie was basically here's a Pacific Rim sequel with none of the stuff that you liked about Pacific Rim. <laughs> and again, I like Uprising. I actually. I love Uprising. I will, yeah. I will, I will actually go toes with people on Uprising. I and love again, Uprising. I, I've gotten so much trouble so many times on the internet for yelling at people for seeing Black Panther five times instead of seeing it four times and seeing Pacific Rim once. <laughs> because you know, and I genuinely believe this, and I know it's a losing battle, but I genuinely believe that the end game for inclusivity and diversity isn't just Black Panther. It's an actor like David Oleo starring in a ridiculous, dumb movie like Gringo. That an actor like Ryan Reynolds could take could just take for granted. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I know it's a losing battle because the audiences don't give a shit about that, <laughs> and that's what we've seen. And I, you know, that's what Disney's starting to deal with now, because now that Disney movies are no longer automatic event films, the fact that they are diverse and inclusive no longer means a damn thing. Mm-hmm. Wish, Eternals, whatever. Yep. Um. All right. Uh, last thing I want to say about really quick about Sound of Freedom, and then we'll transition to Netflix, which is this is, I think, a good life lesson for everybody. If you are a crook, a scammer, and a sexual assaulter, maybe do not let somebody make a blockbuster movie out of your life story because that no, will- do because oh. now Angel Studios is super rich. They're super rich, but 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 uh, but it might turn some eyes. It, it it the whole Santa Freedom thing absolutely reminds me of the end of uh, Brian De Palma's Snake Eyes, 
where you know nick cage is this he's this corrupt cop he's this awful human being but he does this great thing and he's a hero and then everybody starts looking into him and all of a sudden it's like oh no this guy fucking sucks <laughs> <laughs> like if he had not saved the day that's actually a kept... wonderful comparison <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> Anyway, all right. So we're gonna we've been going long, but I do want to get into this a little well, Chris bit. Chris Moth, um, do not come back to Sex in the City. Exactly, exactly. Um, I'd almost now, feel bad for him because you know he does Sex in the City, and then he dies in the episode, and then like Peloton stock drops ten percent, which is <laughs> Exhibit A and why the stock market should be abolished. You know, not that <laughs> but, uh, an actual company can take a 10% drop because a fictional character suffered a fictional death on a fictional TV show while using a fictional version of your product. Um, <laughs> so then, of course, they bring him back really quickly, do a stupid commercial, and then he gets Me Too outed. Again, yeah. I don't feel that sorry for him, but, you know. Yeah, again, we're not feeling, like, look, yeah. I'm not defending. Not in a John Ballard. Kramer kind of way. I'm, I'm just like, saying, maybe, but it is actually, I don't want to go off on this tangent, but it is interesting, the narcissism of somebody like Tim Ballard, that he is doing the shit that he's doing, and he would still allow, like, if I'm scamming millions of people, I am flying under the radar. That's mm -hmm. all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. I'm not making friends with state AGs, and, and you know, anyway, moving on. Netflix, Scott, Netflix released a data dump Vice asked me this, and I didn't actually have the answer for it. Why did Netflix finally release this data dump? Um, I have my theories, and they're just educated guesses. I think it is a way to show to its rivals that Netflix gets so much more viewership than every other streaming platform for the vast majority of their content, relatively speaking, that they're not even playing in the same ballpark. That accomplishes two goals. It absolutely designates Netflix as the king of the streaming ecosystem. And nobody else is even close. And we've known that for years. You know, we've known that when shows that have failed or slightly underperformed or haven't made much of an impact elsewhere, like you, Lucifer, Manifest, uh, Cobra Kai, they go to Netflix and they're giant pop culture sensations. Uh, Suits, which was a solid hit for USA. But um, it also, and by product of that, the next time Netflix is doing a talent negotiation deal, they're going to say, look, you can take our shitty offer or you can go anywhere else, but anywhere else you go, you're not going to get nearly the viewership and you know social media chatters you're going to get from us. So do you want to be inventing Abba or Anna or do you want to be, we worked? And this is this is what, so for those listening, Vice and Andy haven't seen these numbers yet. I should have, if I was a good host, I would have sent them to them, but I'm I terrible have a copy at my job. Me typing for a second, I can find it. No, I, I've got it up too, but oh, okay. they're they're not gonna they're not gonna go through it while we're doing this. But this I found I like I've been obsessed with this all week because the, the to actually finally see these raw numbers has been fascinating. So for a little bit of context for people who who are wondering, what we're talking about is Netflix released basically a data dump of all their 2023 viewing hours. Um, and it, what it shows is hours viewed of everything that's on Netflix, every single thing. And Netflix measures by hours viewed. There's not a direct correlation in terms of like sort of Nielsen ratings. You can't necessarily say that this many hours viewed equals this many views like you would a CBS show, but nonetheless, it's still somewhat illuminating. 
So for example, the number one Netflix show was The Night Agent season one with 812 million viewing hours. Wait a minute. You mean a show that's basically like old school television made by television pros that have a long experience in episodic television was popular in a streaming service? <laughs> 812 million hours. Now, what struck me about this, and we'll get into it a little bit more, is a show that I liked on Netflix, Warrior Nun, got two seasons, got canceled, created quite a groundswell of fan support. How dare Netflix cancel this? This is an amazing show. We love this. 34 million viewers. 34 million hours viewed. Now, again, like I said, there's not a direct correlation. It's not alone. Yes, no. <laughs> like I said, not a direct correlation, but if you can kind of hypothesize that, you know, what that would equate to actual viewers, those are numbers that will get you canceled on the fucking sci-fi channel. Like, like that, that is, that is a, oh. a staggering, oh. like low number. And so it's, it's, it's amazing to me that, you know, and this is, thank God Netflix, I'm, look, I'm not patting Netflix on the back, but thank God they finally did this because now we do have some sort of understanding. Like for instance, me being, you mentioned Lucifer. I'm a, my wife and I are huge Lucifer fans. Well, the reason we got three extra seasons of Lucifer is because all of Lucifer is in like the top 100 watched seasons on Netflix. People fucking love Lucifer. Uh, and so like, it's it's really interesting. I, I was stunned that uh, the one that, because I was well on record as absolutely hating this series, Boobar season one, which is one of the most awful things I've ever put I in my mind. Um. 266 million viewing hours. It is the number 16 most watched Netflix show. So are we getting a FUBAR season two? Yeah, we fucking are. <laughs> Unless Arnie decides he doesn't want to do it. We absolutely are. So Scott, what are your thoughts? Dolph Lundgren's available if he's not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Scott, what are your thoughts on all of these? Um, I do think... It is a net good, as you as you said, and this is something that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, is that, you know, Netflix, not just Netflix, but especially Netflix, they're the biggest, they've gotten a lot of critical cachet and pop culture goodwill from making and or distributing a shit ton of movies and TV from underrepresented voices. And that's good. Whether it's cynical or not, that's a net positive. But because so few people had any idea about why those, if those shows were being watched, you know, those shows would get canceled and there'd be a weird sense of betrayal that theoretically wouldn't exist if there was more concrete moment to moment ratings. Now, to be fair, we have weekly box office and people are still in the dark about why there's not a Birds of Prey sequel. Um, again, you still have people saying make hashtag make solo too. So, um, and but at least you can say, okay, this is why, because we are in the yeah. minority and nobody watched it. Yeah, it's um, the same with Nielsen ratings, right? You can at yeah. least still point and be like, well, 1.5 million people watch this every week. Like, and that's a great example, because even there, you know, you have NBC that runs Hannibal, with nobody watch, great show, but nobody watches it. They run it for three seasons at what's probably great expense before the streaming era. Maybe they made it back, I don't know. 
And when it gets canceled, it's like, oh, how dare NBC cancel the show? It's canceled too soon. It's like they gave it three years, people. They're not a charity. <laughs> um, well, here, I, I want to like, I don't I don't know, well, I'm you know why they eventually back. canceled Rest of Development in three and a half, two and a half, three seasons? Because yeah. the ratings were so bad that reruns of Prison Break were doing better than new episodes of Arrested Development. Damn. And episodes Damn. of Arrested Development airing before Prison Break were resulting in lower ratings for new Prison Break than just a rerun of the last week's episode. Damn. Sorry, I apologize. No, I, that's, that's, that's a dirty game. TV, shit. Well, <laughs> but, well again, hey, Vice, you really quick, I just want to say, this is why, again, I going back to my original thesis of this episode, you need to pay attention to these numbers. It helps yeah. you understand why the things you like continue or get canceled. But Vice, go ahead. Well, I just want to. Uh, well, first, I just want to. You know, like, Night Agent. Like, like we we talked about it briefly before in a previous episode. Great show. It's like the um the best CBS show CBS ever made. With, with like you know, it's like you said, quality uh, production all around. It also has like a. It can go a little further with the uh, extremity of the violence, sex, language being on Netflix. So you can get kind of get the full bore, you know. Um. So yeah, people are like it's, it's not a fluke. It's a great, it really is a great show. There's no bullshit. Um, but I'm, I, I did get a chance to read the list actually uh, about half an hour ago, right before we started, and something, something fascinating to me. So most of this list, you know, it's um, by hour, so it's mostly, as you'd imagine, this, the TV series. You know, just so many hours from all these episodes. The one, the movie, the singular, the single feature-length film that's at the top of this list, or the how do I say this? So basically, number of like the top uh, ten uh, or top twenty items here. Number 20, everything else is a TV show. The one movie, The Mother with Jennifer Lopez. That's a fascinating discovery to me. Like, like you know, going back to like, uh, like you know, I, we hear so much fluff about uh, the streaming hours of movies. They're, they're, trying, they're trying to sell us, okay, they're trying to sell us the idea that they, they, that the people are watching these, you know, um, marquee events. Nobody fucking wants, nobody cares. But The Mother, you know, like the, the, the mom action movie as it were, that people kind of make fun of, making fun of to an unfair degree. Uh, like because again, like you don't, we don't really think of. Well, we we talk about dad action movies all the time, you know, these kind of slightly conservative and or like old school type movies, action movies made for your dad to watch on, on you know on Sunday afternoon, and we kind of always, we never even, I think personally, in among like action film lovers and just people in general, we never even consider that the, the female audience or mom moms want that too, you know, or we might think you know oh. Mother would watch Richard because you know Richard's hot, which he is. That's why I'm watching it. But uh, like we never even consider that the women-led action kind of fantasy power fantasies can grab hold too. And here, like holy shit, clearly, you know, I see, I, I see the actual number itself. So, so number twenty. So compared to like a what is this? Like you said, Fubar. Fubar's numbers are uh, two hundred sixty-six million plus hours viewed. The mother, just a single feature-length film. 249 million like wow that's 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 a good that is a, that is a fascinating thing to kind of eye-opening was, was is the word to kind of realize that this is kind of i don't know i don't say market but um this whole other way that netflix could be used or the movies could be used in general that i didn't even you didn't even, some people don't even consider it you know the top four netflix movies are fascinating to me because so again, most of this, like Vice pointed out, if people are, are and you can just if you just Google Netflix data dump, you'll find the link to it. It's just an Excel spreadsheet. But the top most of the top 
section, as you would expect, is TV shows, a mix of streaming only and and one thing that we'll talk about in a minute, licensed TV shows. But the top four movies are mind-blowing to me. They are The Mother, Extraction 2, which makes all of us very happy, You People, that shit fucking Jonah Hill movie, and Murder Mystery 2. You want to know why Adam Sandler keeps making fucking movies for Netflix? Because Murder Mystery 2 is the fourth most watched Netflix movie. Like, he is bank for Netflix. That deal, that initial deal they signed with them, that's the best thing they ever did. <laughs> oh, I don't know whether he killed theatrical comedies or he was just ahead of the curve. One of the two. <laughs> oh, by the way, quick caveat, I forgot to mention because um, maybe it wasn't clear. So this report, it's um specifically it's a just a certain time frame. This is from um January to June of this year. So just it's like this uh six month period. So so when we say the most watched of all time, uh, it's not of all time on Netflix. It's yeah. this from this first officially reported and released um data dump. But like still even then, that still gives a good a really good snapshot of how it's all working overall. So I think the overall know. takeaway, and this is just movies, is that you know most of the biggest movies there are. You know, either studio pictures like you know the Sony stuff. You know, they signed a lucrative first a TV window deal in 2021, and I was thrilled for it because a it's sub you know theoretically it subsidizes Sony making movies that aren't just Spider Man and Jumanji and Bad Boys, um because it gives them you know a, you know a cushion. And it was Netflix realizing that yes, we need more third party theatrical content because people come to these services for comfort watches. People say they want a blazingly original Netflix original, but they really want is something you'd watch on Tubi. And that's not a criticism on Tubi, but you know, it's 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 the same way that people go, you know, they turn on the TV and they don't go straight to frontline. They go to CBS and, and this isn't a criticism. They watch Young Sheldon, they watch uh, you know, or they go to NBC, they watch Special Victims Unit, you know, they watch genre fair. Uh, you know, it's 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 you know, I don't want to say fast food. Well, yeah, fast food. Some of which is better and nutritious than others. Sometimes um, you just want to put something on the TV in the fucking background while you're making yeah. dinner. And and that is what a lot of these hit shows are. In fact, you know, and I'm not the only person that's felt this way. There's a lot of Netflix movies, original Netflix, that almost feel like they're based for the, you know, for people to be watching on their, half on their phone while they're watching, which I think is one of the reasons why the pacing is sometimes so off. But that's pure speculation. Um, go ahead. Sorry. The one that really stood out to me, though, the one that actually stunned me because I brought up Warrior Nun, number 32 most watched in this period with 192 million viewing hours, Shadow and Bone, uh, and just announced as canceled. So that's one where it is a little interesting. And and I got to imagine at that point that that probably has to be a budget a budgetary decision because if if people haven't watched shadow and bone it's actually a great series but it is it ain't cheap uh and and so you're you're looking at you know if something like physical 100 is beating it or fubar which was made for two dollars and fifty cents and you're looking at something like shadow and bone which you know is easily multi-million dollars an episode um I get why it was canceled, but that one did surprise me a little bit, given how highly rated that one was, or how highly viewed that one was. I mean, and my only theory is that the the show was made during a period in time when 
you know, again, the, the way to make Wall Street happy was to spend a gajillion dollars on streaming content for the sake of content. It was an arms race. And one way that you showed that you were serious about your streaming service would be to green light these gajillion dollars, you know, IP specific fantasy shows, whether, you know, the next Game of Thrones or whatever. And now that Wall Street wants profits and revenue on a dime, because they just randomly changed their mind in early 2022, fuck you to the entire industry that, you know, basically blew their shirt making streaming services. That's one reason we ended up with a dual strike this summer. That's not letting Hollywood off the hook, but um, I would argue Netflix net led the entire industry off a cliff and said, why'd you fall down a cliff? Get yourself back up. Um, yeah. I do believe we are going to see fewer shows of that nature because the numbers just don't make sense. Um, and, you know, I think the only, you know, we might have gotten a Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power anyway, just because at the time, Jeff Bezos was a big Lord of the Rings fan. So it was sort of a because he can passion project. But I think, you know, going forward, I don't think we're going to see any as much like that because, again, the money is in the night agent or the Lincoln lawyer or Reacher. I mean, everybody whines about how Amazon doesn't have the Zeitgeist water cooler show. Like, yes, they do. It's the shows that adults talk about at the actual fucking water cooler at work. They don't talk about it on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, I, I. So my boss is a you know a man in his sixties. He's ex-military. He's a lawyer. And he was bouncing off the walls this week that the new Reacher season was about to start, right? You want to know what people watch? Go to your boss. Go to your old-ass white boss. And that that is what... That is what the people are watching. Um, there is a scene, I'm not going to give it away in case people haven't watched it, the end, or the end of the third episode. There is a dialogue exchange, which is punctuated by a line of dialogue for the protagonist, that if you have any amount of good feeling and soul, you'll basically go for about 10 seconds. <laughs> yep. 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 If you've seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yep. Um, <laughs> the other, I, and I, we're not obviously not going to go through the whole list. And Andy, I do want to get your, your, so I got some questions for you on this, but I do want to point out that what is fascinating to me is going back to shadow and bone. It was what, and I know stranger things season four came out earlier, but it pulled bigger numbers than Stranger Things season four, um, you know, and so it it is fascinating to me. But Vice, if you didn't see it, fifty four Paw Patrol season six, <laughs> seventy one Paw Patrol season five. Um, Paramount, stop fucking around and just rip off the Dark Knight for that next Paw Patrol movie. <laughs> it's right there <laughs> mayor humdinger got his ass kicked he panics in his desperation he turns to animals he does not understand because he doesn't get that some animals chase aren't concerned with money or power some mischievous kittens want to watch the world burn oh my god oh, <laughs> i've been making that joke for two years but it's right there. It's right fucking there. Oh my oh, god. People think of bullshit. People think of bullshit, but they're like, I uh, don't you know, realize we're going to cats like this. <laughs> we have Ant Man, the Flash, and fucking uh, the, uh, all these kind of lax movies 
publish all the mighty movie the best movie with a lot of these and this is not a, this is not a joke <laughs> yeah i mean I, I as much as i hate the crux of let's give them all superpowers now because i mean and i think that's a, a general hollywood problem frankly is that because they thought the success of the avengers meant that everybody wanted superheroes you know it's like let's give the 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 bunny from the secret life of pets a cape and make him a superhero let's advertise elvis as a superhero movie it's like stop that just stop stop but it's paw patrol so i'll let it go <laughs> even though the dark sequel plot was right there oh, <laughs> Andy, um, where are they we we haven't heard from you for a bit so um sure what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts on uh, on on sort of what we've been talking about? But also, is there any Netflix movie that you or Netflix show that you really like that you want me? I've got it up. I can look it up sure. and we can see whether you're gonna you're gonna be happy or sad. Let's see. Yeah, I actually uh, I found it. It's number fifty, which was that kind of spy show, uh, the recruit. I was oh. shocked that that was 146 million because I was like, it was big for like the week. And I think that's the problem with Netflix is they drop mm -hmm. it all at one time and it doesn't get that sustained talk about for a long period. But uh, yeah, that one was big. The night, the night agent I was with uh, vice. I watched that. It's crazy that these shows that don't have people that I can recognize as actors do so well. And I think that's possibly because people just want, while we want something new, kind of like what Scott was saying, we want something new that's in a nice, easy to digest package. And the night agent was just that it was, it was just well done. There was some, some swerves and twists, but nothing where you had to sit there and like really, really, really focus on it. You could just watch it and enjoy it. Or if you wanted to dive deeper, you can. And uh, so, yeah, there's that one. I don't know what, gosh, I try to think of what else I watched on Netflix that I was a bunch of like, sports documentaries and stuff like that so but those will get made regardless i don't care but it's just nice to see the shows that i watched are higher up on that list and have hundreds of you know millions of hours of viewing because it's like okay i'm not alone i'm not the only person watching these things oh, well man. and that's that's the thing that so i'm kind of just in the middle of like i'm in the 80s to 90s now and to me this is absolutely where netflix gets to continue to exist because 83 Vikings Valhalla season one, 84 Breaking Bad season two, 88 Breaking Bad season five, 89 Suits season two, 92 Breaking Bad season three, 93 Lucifer season three, 97 The Blacklist season one. Again, streaming is... This is why network... <laughs> This is why network TV is never going to actually die because network TV is what keeps streaming alive. Mm -hmm. Netflix is kept afloat by ABC, CBS, NBC, and Fox. And, and, and we may want to, you know, and, and the reality is that happens because something that people do not give enough credit to, I cut the cable years ago. I still have an OTA antenna. So I still can watch CBS shows for fucking free. And people do not give enough credit to that, that there are still hours and hours of television being thrown out over the air for fucking free. And then they show up on Netflix a month after the season ends. Uh, and so 
I, I don't even have a thesis or a thought. This is just fascinating. I, to me. They were first. They still have what I would consider to be the best user interface of any streaming platform. I mean, even something simple like I never like it never forgets my password. You know, I'm amazed at often Disney Plus, a service that by all rights should be able to be operated by four year olds without parental guidance, forgets my password, and I have to like, okay, which one's what's my password for that one? Oh shit, I forgot it. You forget your password, and then you know. But again, I mean, I'm an adult; it's a pain in the ass. I mean, um, but Netflix ne never happened with Netflix. Um, I mean, some of the other interfaces. Paramount Plus's interface is so bad that I watch Paramount Plus on YouTube. I mean, I pay, you know, it's, it's, I'll kick out some of my eventual Paramount, but I signed up for the year. But I also pay per month on YouTube because that's how I watch it because it's YouTube is so much of, of a better working interface. Um, Netflix very quickly became shorthand for streaming in the same way that Kleenex is shorthand for tissues. And Xerox is shorthand yes. for copying. Yep. You know, when yep. people say, you know, again, it's like, I'll wait for Netflix. It's basically just, I'll wait for streaming. Yeah, nobody says Peacock and chill. No. Right. <laughs> for various reasons. <laughs> they also don't say That's Disney Plus and chill for other reasons. Otherwise, <laughs> Tim Ballard might come into you. <laughs> Although, apparently, according to you, he will be unsuccessful in catching you. So, feel free. <laughs> Scott, Scotty, a, God yeah. damn it, I love you. I'm so <laughs> I'm so glad we had you on this show. <laughs> um, but I mean, to add on what Scott said, that every time a new streaming service comes out or they update stuff, I'm like, why don't you just just copy Netflix? They've ma they've mastered it. It's right there. Yeah. Everybody knows how to use it. And when you don't, guess what? There's some online article about how your streaming service doesn't compare to Netflix because you didn't do it. So I actually use an app. I'm not going to name it because it can also be used for things that we don't support on this show unless you have to use those avenues to see something that you can't otherwise see. But it does also allow me to aggregate all of my streaming services into one handy app with a very useful Netflix-esque interface. Because Scott's right, Paramount Plus sucks. Fucking HBO Max or Max now is a dog shit in terms of its interface. It's absolutely horrible. It's like these fucking streamers don't want you to actually watch their shit. It, it's mind blowing. Um, and I'll be honest, my experience with them is generally different because nine times out of ten, I am looking for a specific movie or show. So I will go on Google, I will Google it, and there's a little thing on the side that will tell me of the services that I and I have most of them for work-related reasons and because my children are lazy. <laughs> um, although it's telling that if it wasn't a tax write-off and I didn't want my wife and kids just to be able to watch whatever they wanted, whatever they wanted I'd subscribe to a lot fewer of them. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so like, it was like, oh no, where is, I'm sort of dazzled by the amount of traffic of, is the show streaming on Netflix gets for websites? I mean, because I know it's sort of their bread and butter, but it's like, Google and there's a little box that tells you. Yeah. Um, and it's like, you know, something so hard to find on Netflix. Like, I just do a search. I remember the day Avengers Infinity War debuted on Netflix. This was obviously before Disney Plus. And there was like a bunch of articles like Disney Plus is hiding Avengers Infinity War. And this, this a bunch of people wrote this and it got a lot of traffic. It's like, 
I, I turned on Netflix. I went to search. I hit A. And the first thing that came up was <laughs> Avengers Infinity War. You know, it's funny. It's, kind of, it's what I do with like a, about the utility of like, a, I don't know, I guess maybe because I had it so long, Netflix is like kind of learned my soul. So the algorithm has me. So even when I turn it on now, it has this, it specifically says that one of the, it has the um, sections of movie types that it shows you. And it even says like, um, what is it? Hardcore Asian action. Like it knows me in and out. Better than my wife at this point. <laughs> and then where they don't own the know? first two thirds of that is that, is that personal business? Yeah. <laughs> well, and here's here's the other thing going to them being first. How many of our TV remotes have a dedicated Netflix button? All of them. Mm -hmm. All of them. <laughs> well, I just want to say, like you know, Netflix has learned my soul by now. And whereas Amazon, where they're kind of where they kind of shine is that um they 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 kind of gear you towards the premier things they want you to see, but even the ones that aren't are with new wheels. Like um, in my in my prime, Reacher right there. When I, when I turned it on, it's like Reacher season two go. Like yes, but then right under it is um all the Indian movies, all the brand new Indian action, which is a which is Amazon specifically their forte. They have a lot, a big deep library of Indian um cinema. But then um and when I went on my Hulu, um I had to search for one of my favorite movies of this of this year. Uh, Miguel wants to fight. I love that movie, but I had to like. I, it wasn't. It, it didn't. Uh, it didn't make itself apparent to me the way the other stuff on the other streaming channels do, and most of the Netflix. You know, again, like if, you, if they, they want to see this shit, they gotta like put literally put it on face, and it's like, why aren't you doing that? You know. <laughs> Even searching on on Hulu, you type in your title and then you look at. It, I'm like, it's not there. I'm like, oh, I have to go over to movies, not television shows, <laughs> or not like the most. I'm like, this is so stupid. Just put it all on one screen so I can see it. Or it'll be there and you'll click on it, but oh, you don't have live TV, so you can actually watch this one. Like, oh, Why shit. did you give it to me then? You know what I subscribe to and what I don't. <laughs> Ran into that with Hulu. This is why I don't subscribe to Hulu anymore. Ran into that when they signed their deal with uh, Hotstar. Well, not sign their deal, but and half of their Indian movies didn't have subtitles. I'm like, what are you fucking doing here? How culture do you think I am? Yeah, like <laughs> I don't speak Hindi. Sorry, I, I I promise you, white dude in Utah does not speak Hindi. He needs subtitles. Um, one last thing I want to say about this is. Just simply because we we do need to wrap this up. We've been going for for over two hours, and we don't want to keep Scott too long. Um, it's my socialization for the day. <laughs> so one of the most buzzed Netflix movies over the last or Netflix series over the last couple of years has been Squid Game. Squid Game season one one twenty six with uh, eighty seven thousand viewing hours. Every time one of you motherfuckers gives me shit for championing CBS action shows, I just want to point out that SWAT season one is 123 with 88,000 hours. So fuck you. CBS shows rule. Stop giving me shit for watching them. They're the best. Even the true lies series ruled i'm sad it got canceled stop it like ruled is strong but i did i didn't watch it and I was it, was fun. Okay, it was fun okay it was fun it was fun it was fun 
And it was Steve Howie. I mean, who yeah. doesn't like Steve Howie in action mode, right? Like, yeah. So that's my only point. Um, <laughs> all right. We need to wrap this up. As much as I could stay and talk to you all day, Scott, and I mean that I literally could. I Same love, here. Appreciate it. I love talking to you so goddamn much. Uh, we do need to wrap this up. So first and foremost, again, reiterate, where can people find your stuff if they want to follow you uh please go to google or whatever search engine you use bing none of you use bing kidding um go to a search engine of your choice and type in scott mendelson the ticket booth sub stop ticket jesus christ okay scott mendelson the outside scoop at sub substack some combination of those three terms should bring me up and if it doesn't please let me know um you sound like me when I try and read off where you can find us and I can never remember what all of our handles are. Well, so. no, for years I was saying, Google some variation of Scott Mendelson Forbes, the ticket booth. Um, oh, the ticket booth is dead. Long live the outside scoop. Hashtag your colon Mendelson memos legacy sequel. Yes, I have become a nostalgia skewing legacy sequel. I've become that which I most despise. <laughs> Andy, uh, I feel bad, dude. I feel like you didn't get to chat too much this episode. Well, that's my but... fault. I apologize. Do not worry about it whatsoever. I got to sit here and listen to Scott. So well, and, and that was, happy. like I said, that was what I wanted. I wanted you to meet Scott. I wanted you to just hang out with us. Uh, other folks who are our friends, you will be doing this as well. You'll just be hanging out with us while Liam's filming. So, but Andy, we love you. Where can people find you? All right. People can find me. Uh, I won't do my vice like spiel this time. I, I, it was a one and done thing. I, I got the laugh I needed, but pretty much you can find me on all socials. Just Andrew M. Gorham. I made it super easy. Um, and on all of those, there's a links to uh, our uh, wonderful Star Wars podcast, Imperial Scum, that Chris and I have been doing with Mark. And it's been wonderful. It's been great. Uh, so you can follow us there, too, as well. We'd love to hear from you guys. So, still, yeah, follow me there. Still, still haven't been on an episode. Just saying. Nobody still has. Haven't, still haven't <laughs> been on an episode. Um, you will. You're like guest number 472. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Dick. Hell, for the record, uh, you <laughs> Vice, where can people find you? You can find me in the gym at 2 a.m. Hey, oh, look, I wanted to tell you real quick. I would appreciate people supporting me uh, the past couple months because like, I was saying before me, my mom almost died and shit. That shit was, was hilarious. It was just, that's like the funny thing, funny thing I ever did. Almost died. I couldn't make a regular punchline. But yeah, I, I was feeling really bad. I was standing I just had to you know, go back to the gym and just like, kind of give myself back up. Then, um, and we're going to talk about this soon. Um, Reacher, season two coming out, came out this past week. So, do uh, I have to hopefully it well they're dropping it now. weekly so we have to wait to watch it because yeah. they're dropping it weekly. i have all the episodes with screeners and they oh, get how much like, it I said, to, yeah. like i said to andy fuck you scott um <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, so yeah it came out december 15th so that's how i said along my paypal <laughs> hey i'm i'm, I'm a joke uh, <laughs> um yeah so uh you came out december 15th i said that as a goal do some like you know um Exercise stuff, three fifteen, you know, this is me at in, in lieu of Liam be here. So me 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 me. I did three fifteen bench squat, uh, deadlift. I smashed all those except for the bench press. 
the bench press with the last one, I almost uh, tore my arm in half. It really hurt, but I'm okay now. But I, I did it. <laughs> it was great. And, you know, and then, yeah, I was just really really thank you, you know, support me, like, you know, shout, shout me out. Because, like, you know, I, I feel like I'm the strongest I've ever been in my life, which is crazy. I'm fucking 40 years old. I'm, I'm an old man, but now nah, it's just some gas in the tank, I guess. So that's good. But, yeah, another thing, prop, prop, props to the Vanilla Gorilla, Al Reachson, Reacher, like, give me the motivation to get swollen again. Ah, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped up. I'm I'm feeling as better as, as great as I ever have. They say that thank you. it's all, all of you, all my friends, even our compatriots, allies here, Mr. Mendelson. Thank you so much. Yeah, just look, my friend that I met from this stupid show, which is us being stupid, is now. With, and look at this, we're doing big things. Talking to talking to Irene's Union. Talking, you know, talking to John Himes. Yeah, got the box office guru. Our friend right now, as we speak, shooting a movie with with Eco Oasis. Like, yo. What's going on? This is like, oh, the thing is, is, this is like very happy about the positive turn that uh, my life has taken thus far. So yeah, find me in the gym. Find me here every day, you know, talking shit with my homies. Um, I, I'm on Instagram, being hot. I like this. I'm on Letterboxd. Uh, what is it? What's that kind of stuff? Well, whenever I see the next movie I see, it will probably be uh, Aquaman. We'll see how that goes. I'll be having a review there on Letterboxd. <laughs> Fingers crossed. You see Scott. Uh, and as oh yeah, also don't forget um, join the Discord. Um, uh, shout out to uh, our friend Maxwell, you know the, our official unofficial um, community manager. So we have a great Discord going on. Lots of cool topics there. So you know, just uh, same thing. Google's it. Google's the A4E Discord. You'll find it. And, or if not, send us send a um, uh, message or DM or app at either, either one of us, myself uh, or Mike, or and we'll get you the uh, Discord invite. So yeah, join us there. And as always, until one of us dies. Uh, I'll be there on Twitter talking shit at Vice Victus. Yes. You can find Liam O'Donnell at Liam Odin everywhere. Instagram, Twitter. Uh, he is literally, again, as I said, shooting as we speak. Uh, if you have not followed his Instagram, you should because goddamn Warpath is looking amazing. And I... I it, it actually physically hurts me to not tell you guys what else is coming down the pipeline when it comes to Warpath, but you are not ready for this fucking movie. You are not ready for it. Uh, so follow Liam, Liam Odin everywhere. Uh, you can follow me at Hibachi Justice everywhere. You can follow the show at A4E Podcast everywhere, especially Linktree. But I do want to shout out, um, I had somebody email us a4e podcast at gmail.com saying they're not on Twitter and they were very happy that I shouted out the email because they couldn't DM us to get an invite for the Discord. Uh, and so a4e podcast at gmail.com. If you are not on Twitter, email us. It may take me a second to get back to you because I don't check that email that often, but I will send you an invite to the Discord. Because if you listen, you need to be part of the Discord. It is a beautiful community. Uh, Warpath, Liam posted, I don't want to say what he said, but he posted a very heartfelt message about how the Discord and this community has actually shaped Warpath and the things he's doing. So come and join us. Talk about some action movies. Come join an inclusive space where we don't tolerate hateful bullshit uh, we just like to talk about the joy of people getting punched in the face. Uh, and so with that, we will be, uh, 
I don't know if we'll be back next week. It's Christmas. So uh, I'm just going to say, boys, we love you. Uh, let's do it again sometime. Uh, and Scott, thank you as always. It's love an incredible you. pleasure. This is one of my favorite things to do. Thank you so much. Peace.